You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the president of the Dunstan Group, Scott Dunstan. And we are here uh, with, I would say, kind of a LinkedIn rock star. Uh, and that would just be the first title of the many things that this person does. But uh, Gary Frey here is, is is somebody that you need to know. And if you haven't heard of him yet, maybe you, you, um, you will have heard of him in the past, and you'll connect those dots. But let's talk about a career. Let's talk about somebody that's done a lot. But let's talk a little bit about what Gary's done. Now, when we talk about exciting careers uh accountant usually is not at the top of that list but i'm is, not one but he's not one <laughs> but let me I, make sure yes everybody understands <laughs> that's right he is not an accountant but it, it is he does work for a um, for a, a B, bgw cpa firms uh they build themselves as anything but typical in fact they actually have their own podcast which gary is the is the host of um which is an amazing podcast go check it out they have some amazing guests I, i'm an avid listener i think it's fantastic and i would consider him the connector the macgyver the the confidant whatever you want to call him that's exactly what gary is but he has also built anything but a typical career, and he's going to join us to talk a little bit more about not only that energy uh, and everything that he does in his life, but also some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. Uh, I can't wait to learn from from Gary right now. So uh, let's get this started on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Well, very cool. Uh, thanks for having me. And first of all, this is not a shame, but um, my last name is Fry, which is Fry. why I started a TGIF. <laughs> totally grateful it's Friday. <laughs> See? I, I even butchered the name. It's Fry, everyone. It's Fry. I got you. That's awesome. It looks like Frey. It does. You tricked me, man. You tricked me. Man, thank you for being here. Uh, I still have friends that call me Frey. And it's been so long that I'm like, ah, I don't whatever. Yeah. I have the heart to correct them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they know they just want to keep calling you Frey because you're like, oh, he gets so mad when I don't call him Fry. No, F R Y. Awesome, yeah, there we go. I, you know, yeah, I usually ask the, the guests, I'm like, how do you pronounce your last name? I looked at yours and I was like, I got this. I got this. Yeah, <laughs> you got this. It's a one syllable, just easy deal. Butchered. Yeah, All yeah. right. So, so Mr. Fry, there we go. Uh, when when you graduated from Kansas State with a degree in advertising and graphic design, what is the first thing you did professionally to start your career, job, freelance, or otherwise? Tell us about it and how you did it. Okay, well, first of all, I have to bring another correction because I dropped out after my sophomore <laughs> Perfect. year. Perfect. There we go. Perfect. So, um, 1982, I was on a full ride uh, academic scholarship called the Putnam Scholar at Kansas State. And um, that the summer after my third, uh, my sophomore year, I had to do an internship on top of other things. So I was running like three jobs. And I was working for a graphic designer. And as part of my internship, because I was in graphic design and advertising. And so I had to propose or give my portfolio at the end of that summer. And the guy offered me a full-time job. And my advisor, who was like my favorite teacher, she was the head of the department and she had been in industry. So she wasn't a typical, you know, prof. And she said, Gary, I've never told anybody this in 
ever before, but you need to take the job because I can't, grads are not getting jobs. It was the highest unemployment since the Great Depression in 1982. Wow. So needless to say, my father, who was just shy of his PhD, all he didn't do was he didn't want to uh, write his dissertation. And my mom, who was a nurse who had her degree, I was the first of that family to drop out of college. So uh, it wasn't because it was what I wanted to do necessarily, but it was kind of what, you know, the industry and the times were dictating. And I, I got to work under a really talented designer. Um, and so I started in advertising um, and I was a designer. So uh, I have a very atypical career path. Um, it's taken me in all kinds of crazy things. Um, I got to do my first turnaround when I was a whopping 28, had no business, no credentials. Hey, college dropout. You ought to be great at that. Um, it was in spite of lack of credentials and we, we turned it, um, and we became kind of the hot thing in Wichita, Kansas. We were a small boutique firm that we had to start all over again. And it was just after everybody quit, when we took 25% pay cuts, everybody quit except for me and my partner. <laughs> and <laughs> we had to build it back. And so I was writing, I was designing, and I was selling. And he is the PR guy because he was the head of um, corporate um, affairs and corporate communications for Cessna Aircraft. He's 20 years older than me. And um, then as we were growing, we had to start you know, replicating and replacing myself, which was really easy to do, you know, hire younger people that were more talented, that that's pretty fun. <laughs> so um, anyway, and it, the career has taken me in all kinds of crazy places. Um, came to Charlotte, North Carolina in 1994, when I discovered my partner's improprieties <laughs> and forgave him twice and decided I didn't want to take him down and so because my name was on the door it was called the morris fry agency so um we chose to start all over with hardly any money and <laughs> forgave a bunch of money and started all over in charlotte north carolina with two little kids in tow and my wife was home with these four and seven year old boys and um needless to say this has not been a career path i would have chosen but I, what doesn't kill you makes you better, right? And stronger. And, um, and I've also had to learn gratefulness in the midst of some really difficult times. So um, I'm a better man because of it, I think. Uh, you, I've learned you don't give thanks for everything, but you give thanks in everything. There is a difference. I love that. So you, I got to jump in this quickly. You mentioned Wichita, Kansas. I actually lived in Wichita, Kansas when you were in Wichita, Kansas. Really? So I was born in Winter Park, Florida in 1984. And in 1986, my dad's job took us to Wichita, Kansas. And we lived there until about 1993. So I lived in uh, Beacon Hill neighborhood. I went to Price Harris Elementary School. We were members of Crestview Country Club because back then companies gave you country club memberships, something my dad would never have paid for. But they're uh, like, here yeah. you go. You're moving to Kansas. You get a company car and a, and a country club membership. But you don't meet many people from Wichita. Um, but it's it's cool that um, that you I, I didn't even know that. Uh, so that's kind of crazy. But I do want to jump into it because with Wichita, when, when you had this business, 
you were talking about branding and the importance of a brand when no one was right. Yeah. Even when we came up with the name, the name, the brand builders podcast back in 2017, that's still what building your brand wasn't even the hot topic yet. Now no. you can go look up. There are plenty of companies that are called brand building. You know, there are companies that, oh, yeah. that focus specifically on that. So it's kind of like the, the new trend, right? What's your personal brand? Are you doing enough? But it's something that people have been doing their entire lives. Maybe they didn't call it that, but you obviously noticed the importance of what a brand is and how that can help a business. So I would love to know from, from, and this is going to be kind of a generic question, but how important is branding not only for your, for your own personal self, but also your, your organization? Well, first of all, Beacon Hill, I know exactly where that is because I lived on the east side nice. on a street called McGill and our kids went to Price Harris as well. What? That's <laughs> how, how old are your kids? They're 30. Oh gosh, let's see how old is he now. Oh, that's 30. He'll be 30. Yeah, he's 34. 34 and wow. 31. So I'm 36. So we wouldn't have been in the exact same class, but we were probably at Price Harris Elementary School Price at the same Harris, time. man. What a small yeah, world, yeah. man. What a small world. That That's is crazy. wild. It really is. That's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah, well, funny. So, Who would have thought? Yeah. Right? Uh, and I realize this, this is probably audio only, but behind me, you'll see two license tags, and one of them says Kansas Creative. That yeah. was my license tag wow. for my ad agency. <laughs> wow. And at the time, it was an integrated marketing firm because my partner was a PR guy. Yeah. And I was a designer. And we did integrated marketing campaigns for British Aerospace. I mean, you had to do something. And I worked for all of the major uh, general aviation yep. manufacturers from Cessna, Beach, Learjet, et cetera. But, um, you know, and at that time, it, there wasn't even a term integrated marketing, but I was just like, well, it makes sense across all of these things, right? And the internet, you know, Al Gore hadn't perfected it yet, so <laughs> it was not really a thing. Yep. But we moved into digital, the digital world because we had to, and we needed to do that pretty fast. And it was an ex extremely expensive thing to do, you know, back at that, that day. But, you know when I left my own agency, that was really hard. You know, one, I loved Wichita. I grew up, I was a Kansas native, so I never anticipated that we would ever leave. And we, we were in old town. Um, so, uh, we had renovated a, an old chili factory, which was really cool. But, um, as one of the most defining things came from, um, my biggest client, which was British Aerospace, and they were in Sterling, Virginia. Um, and they're actually where AOL's headquarters is. They bought their campus, which is kind of cool. And I've been there since it was AOL too. But um, I always had this kind of imposter syndrome. First of all, college dropout and, you know, we're doing work with these big guys. And I wanted all of North and South America. I had North and South American business for them, but I wanted Europe. And to do it, I had to have an alliance in the UK. In doing that, I got to meet other agencies in the UK that they were using, et cetera. And I asked the head of marketing one night as we were having a, a glass of wine, I said, I got to ask you, why would you use us? Because we were like a 12, 16 person agency, I think maybe 12, something like that. 
why would you use us in the middle of Kansas? And he goes, oh, that's easy. He goes, you guys are actually more expensive than some of our other firms. But, you know, I have access to the top guys and you guys move fast. You guys are like PT boats. You move fast and and you get it. And we were always, always pushing the envelope. We were always trying different things just because why not? And, and it wasn't because we had huge budgets. I felt like we had to be, I called us dumpster divers. You know, we were always trying to MacGyver stuff and figure out how could we do it. We were competing against folks that had, you know, three quarters of a million dollar uh, budgets to do TV. And I had 13,000, you know, kind of thing, you know, that kind of stuff. So we had to just get really crap, uh, scrappy and creative uh, in doing that. But as I got older and was in a couple Fortune 100 companies, especially in Bank of America, I started realizing how thick culture really was. Like you can, you can put all the accoutrements and all the schlack on stuff out there. But first of all, um, and this was before that, but, you know, I had, <laughs> we were doing a, a TV, some TV commercials when I was at First Union and the head of marketing said to me, so, you know, um, you think this thing's going to hit it out of the park? We had gone through a bunch of benefit testing and, and focus group testing uh, stuff. And I said, it's a C idea at best. Uh, you know, there was a food fight internally within the company on which ad agencies they were going to use. And there was pressure from the line of business person that was running this line of business that I was supposed to support from an advertising standpoint. I said, Brad, it's, it's a C idea. The best we can do. And we used the guys that did Jim Carrey's the mask, yeah. you know, at that time, yeah. like really crazy stuff up in Toronto. I said, it's a C, C plus at best idea. The best we can get it to is a B minus with all the, I mean, it's still a crappy idea. <laughs> it's average. <laughs> which is what, you know, you got to have great ideas. But what I, what I learned is, is it does not matter what you put on the outside. A good buddy of mine, his name's Stan Slap, and he's probably one of the best gurus on culture, I think. Um, he said, you can't sell it on the outside if you can't sell it on the inside. And I thought, man, is that the truth? Because if you're and the reason I'm wearing this, you know, culture T-shirt from Movement Mortgage, because I think they have it. I think you know, it's not that they're perfect. You know, I've got friends there and that have left there, too. And it's not a perfect place. But, man, they are driven by purpose and they are, are constantly trying to raise the bar. And it's just this continuity across everything, whether it be the t-shirt, this is not a crappy t-shirt. You guys probably produced it. You know, it's cool. Got a nice tag here and everything is, it's cool and it's comfortable. Um, it, it's not itchy, you know, um, and it fits well, but you know, if you don't have culture, you, you don't have anything. You've just got, you've got a, a Las Vegas facade as yeah. far as I'm concerned. It makes I, great sense. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And that brings up a point. There's a lot of companies now specifically with the social media presence, digital pre pre preference or, or presence, excuse me, that 
they are trying to have knee-jerk reactions to what I like to call the flavor of the week, right? And there could be all different types of issues out there, and a lot of them are very, very important. Yeah. But you see this from a corporate standpoint. They have to make a stance, and they have to make it very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, instead of aligning what their culture and what they're they're all about, it's like everybody's jumping around everywhere to be like, well, that's not me. We're not like that, or we're like this, or we're like this. What are some of the mistakes you're seeing companies make that could not only hurt their culture, but is it hurting them trying to be the, the, the be all for everything instead of focusing on what really drives who they are. And I guess I just look at, at marketing and branding and I just feel like there's a lot of companies that have lost who they are. They've lost what that culture is. They don't even know what it is because they're so afraid of maybe the backlash by making a stance of something they believe in. I would love to get your thoughts because you've worked with some of the biggest companies out there. If you go to Gary's uh, LinkedIn page, you'll see what some of his accomplishments are and it's unbelievable. So uh, please tell me what your thoughts are there and what are companies doing wrong and what are companies doing, doing right? So this, this one goes back uh, before I, I don't even know that there was a brand uh, term other than, you know, something that got really hot and put on the side of a cow, (laughs) but um, Shakespeare, what did he say to thine own self be true? And I think a lot of companies is, you know, management always sets the tone, always, always, always what they do and what they say, but what they do sets the tone. And so I'll give you the best example of what I saw at a huge company that did it right at the time. And I'm not sure that I'd put them in that same category today. But when I was brought to what was called Nations Bank and now Bank of America, and it was, we did the three largest acquisitions in history at that time, Boatman's, Barnett, Bank of America. We went from 80,000 associates to 160,000 in two years. And my first job truly was a MacGyver. Um, That's what they described it. Like, hey, we made this 11 state acquisition in the Midwest, you're from the Midwest, you're a marketing guy, you've turned around stuff. Uh, the, the, the numbers are upside down and they were a machine on acquisitions on the East Coast. And this one had them kind of befuddled. They, they thought it was a communication error because they had spent a bunch of money, like tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in the market saying, the sign of more good things to come, to come with Nations Bank sign. And really what it meant after I did all my sleuthing and talking with people on the front line in all those regions, I came back and I said, yeah, it's a marketing message issue. But the bigger thing is, you know, what they're saying is, yeah, you know, you just jacked up my fees. You dropped my rate of return. Mabel's afraid she's going to lose her Sally the teller. Uh, Bob, the business banker, had all of his loan decision-making authority shipped to Charlotte. Keep your good things. That's really what that meant. But I said, the bigger thing is, is they don't understand our culture. This was a very empowering culture under Hugh McCall at the time. And my boss had one of the most coveted things in, on the planet in that uh, ecosystem called the crystal hand grenade. He had these Waterford crystal hand grenades made. And they, he was a Marine, but it was really for jumping on the grenade to do the right thing. And so my first day there, and you can read about it on my LinkedIn 
profile, I had 8 million people read that particular post um, about, and I was trying to honor the best boss I've ever had. She's still there. She's one of the top execs still at Bank of America. Great leader, but she in that one hour set the tone like, this is what we stand for, Gary. Do the right thing. Teamwork and trust. Have a passion for winning in that order. Well, what does that mean? Now, how many people out there can say those are our core values off the top of their head? Mm-hmm. Seriously. But, it, and we didn't have a credo card like the Ritz Carlton or anything like that, but I knew what it was expected. I knew what that meant. So core values, we lived, we hired and fired based on that. Now you could say, well, out of 80,000 people, I know some people that they didn't hire and fire based on. Sure, that's a big freaking company. But, you know, McCall did set the tone and he's not a perfect individual, none of us are, but man, he set the, the tone for the skyline in Charlotte, North Carolina. And if you don't think that his fingerprints aren't on it, you know, we need to introduce you to him and some other people. And he doesn't talk about it. Um, you know, I heard him say, I want to build a world-class city that's a great place to raise a family and grow a business many times. And guess what? It's becoming more and more of that. It's not perfect. It's not there yet, if you will, but it's different than it was in 1994 when we moved here um, the first time. So again, management sets the tone and, and everything else, you know, just supports it as far as I'm concerned, or it becomes a cynical, fest, you know, it festers cynicism if you're saying one thing and you don't stand for something. And so that's one of the reasons, like, I love coaching CEOs and their management teams. And I reluctantly got asked and drug into that when I was actually, my first one was in 1998. When I was at Bank of America, it wasn't like I had nothing else to do. They were crazy hours there. But two friends independently asked me to help them, you know, kind of be on the outside of the jar so I could help them read their label as they were thinking about, you know, as they were growing their companies. Well, you know, the, the bottom line is, if you don't know what you stand for, you're going to fall for anything. And unless you have conviction and courage to be who you are and say, screw the rest of it, I'm going to stand for this. And you won't attract everybody. You know, you can't be all things to all people anyway. All emphasis is no emphasis as far as I'm concerned. Know what you stand for. And you'll attract those kind of people. You'll attract those kind of clients. That's why I love this gig at BGW. And I don't look at it as a gig. I look at it as a calling. And I would have never thought in my wildest dreams I'd ever go work for a CPA firm. Please, (laughs) seriously? You know, I'm a high I, high D. And most of them are high S, high C's on the disc (laughs) profile. Um, You know, but... Our heartbeat, I saw on on the wall, I was asked to actually speak at a culture thing. Like how many CPA firms are talking about culture? (laughs) About zero. (laughs) So I go up in this room that holds 60 people and I'm like, this is amazing. I, I was asked to speak on a panel. And then I see on the wall, they have their EOS, 
you know, traction organizer, you know, uh, their VTO, Vision Traction Organizer, and it has on there their core values, but it also had their their mission, their purpose. And I had written my purpose in 2003 when I read the book Purpose Driven Life for the first time after reading it then three more times, I think. But I wrote down my purpose at that time, and it was to just simply make a positive difference in the lives of others, period. Um, that's really all that matters to me. Everybody else has their own thing, but I saw theirs and it was interesting. It said to make a difference in the lives of our clients, our employees, and our community. I'm like, well, that kind of fits me, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, I, we love helping businesses, privately held businesses. If Once they go public, we... You know, we've got one that's a billion dollar company now that we started with as a startup. They took a bunch of money from a large private equity firm that needed a big four stamp on it. But we're still supporting those founders because we translate, you know, CPA gobbledygook into real life language that they can understand that the big four may not be able to translate for them. But we love helping businesses grow. And it's not just about doing taxes. It's about, you know, understanding what it's like. I mean, I think the last time I did the check out of the 77 of us, and that includes five um, interns, we may have a few more people now than, than a couple months ago, but um, 11 of us have either started, run, or turned around companies. Well, go find another CPA firm that has half of that, our size or, or bigger. <laughs> Right. You'd be hard pressed because we don't fit. <laughs> so anyway, that's a long answer. But, um, you know, chasing the, the latest fad, all it does is it just makes your people more cynical. That's really interesting. And yeah, talking about BGWCPA, your tagline is balance, growth, wisdom. That, that alone seems to set you apart from most CPA firms I know and understand. Uh, could you dive into that just a little bit? Yeah, well, actually, it's kind of like the question. So when they launched New Coke, was that a brilliant <laughs> marketing move or was that a bonehead move? And then they did a great save. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But I studied that quite a bit because Coca-Cola was a, a client of ours. Um, and, um, and that was either the biggest blunder initially or a brilliant marketing move. That was a great recovery. I don't know, but BGW stood for Boatsman Gilmore Wagner <laughs> and Gilmore and Wagner are no longer there. And it's just Adam Boatsman who started it in 06. So they had to re they didn't want to change and i'm not a big fan of alphabet soup branding that's what i call it you know like initial branding right but the balance growth wisdom i'm like oh no that was a good save i like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i started pushing us as anything but typical cuz i always look for a differentiation like that has to be true it has to be true to the dna of the place but, you know, when if you walk through our place, you see a big NASCAR hood at the end of, of the hall. And there's a one of the NASCAR teams, there's a foundation that we serve. And we work with some of those NASCAR teams. 
if you walk into our place, you know, it's not mahogany and brass and it's not a $4 million build that makes somebody goes, oh, no wonder you guys are so expensive. <laughs> We're just who we are. I mean, and even when we started doing webinars, we've done 56 weeks of webinars for free because of the COVID mess, right? And we had a lot of clients that, you know, some of them did great, but, you know, dental practices shut down. They've got big overhead. You know, we had a lot of clients that were really freaking out. And, you know, we love serving those folks. And we, when we got onto these things, I think we may have had a collared shirt for the first time. And then we're like, screw that. That's not who we are. And, um, you know, so, you know, you'll see us in sweatshirts or whatever. And we're not trying to be different. We're not trying to be, you know, like, you know, somebody else. We're just who we are. And most of our clients, even some of the big ones, not some of the big ones may look a little bit more corporate, but man, they're not wearing suits and ties. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you that, you know, the, mm -hmm. the grading guys you know, that are out there mucking around in the field, you know, if, if, if you're lucky, you're going to get them in a polo with a, with, with a nice logo on it that you guys probably bought, you know, or we <laughs> hope <laughs> created for them. So yeah. Yeah, it's no. really cool. I, I mean, your website, it, as soon as you log on and, and hop on it, um, there are tons of colors and it's all umbrellas. Did you have anything to do with that? Or yeah. what, what, does, what does that symbolize? Is that anything but typical? <laughs> yeah, so because I was a designer, I don't want to be a chief marketing officer ever again. Um, <laughs> and we've got a director of marketing and she's fantastic. But I like doing a thing called a thrive wither. Um, I do it with management teams and I did it for myself in 1993 after I discovered, you know, my partners and proprieties. And I wrote down what makes me come alive in my thrive column, what makes me wither. So I like doing that with teams because we all have uniquenesses and we can still have the same title and we can still have the same responsibilities. But sometimes what we do is we do, horse trading of responsibilities. Well, I'm probably the only one that's massively visual still. So when we, I said, our, our website just doesn't reflect who we are. You know, it was, it was a little dated a year ago. So we had everybody, you know, yeah, we agree with that. So I started, you know, I, I do a lot of that imagery, a lot of that imagery, either I did or I got off of Unsplash, but the, the whole umbrellas, the reason that that's on there is um, after having five to seven conversations a day, it seemed like on new business development and listening to what the pain points were from people that where they were frustrated with their current CPAs, I called it the big four. Well, yeah, there are big, big four counting firms, but the big four reasons people get fired is one of the reasons that references the umbrellas, you know, I'm afraid to call you because you're going to uh, bill me like an attorney. Well, and I had that happen. I called my CPA. I had one question. We talked about the weather. That's where the umbrellas come in. <laughs> we talked about the Panthers. We talked about our kids. We talked about all this stuff and we got around to my one question. And I think, you know, I don't think anything of it. And two weeks later, I get a $250 bill. Like, and it wasn't about the 250 bucks. It was just like, seriously? Right. 
So that was one. Another one is surprises on a bill or surprises from the IRS. The number one reason people get fired is lack of responsiveness. You, I could, you know, curl your hair with crazy stories like just pick up the phone and call me back, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the final one is uh, I fell in love with the A team and I never see them anymore. All I see is a C team. You know, those are the big four reasons people get fired. And so we're not perfect at it, but we're like, you know what? We, we've built our processes to ensure that you've got a phone call back in 24 hours. Again, we're not perfect at it, um, but we, we are continuing to get better and better and better. And we're not going to settle for, well, that's just how we are. We're non-communicators. So, you know, that's how it is. Well, why, why does it have to be that way? <laughs> so anyway. I love it, man. I I, um, I pulled up the uh, the hand grenade article, and uh, I saw the end from from your takeaway, which is know your core, lead by example, and when necessary, jump on the grenade. And I think everybody needs to go read that because that's very powerful. And um, and I think any organization, it's all about culture. It's about leading by example. And you know what? I always put it this way: that when mistakes happen. If you're a leader, you have the ability to jump on the grenade, right? That's you have right. the ability to make it go away um, instead of pointing fingers and saying, well, you did this and you did this and you did that. Who cares? It's irrelevant, right? Let's come up with a solution. Let's make our customer happy. And if that takes a, a leader or a manager jumping on the grenade, well, then guess what? You're jumping on that damn grenade. You know what I mean? That's exactly um, right. And so that's, that's so powerful. Now, before we let you go, I do want to talk a little bit about your podcast because it's amazing. You bring on, um, a, a ton of leaders, CEOs, executives, very similar to what the brand builders podcast is about. You know, we're all about telling the stories, yeah. but you've had some amazing people on there. Tell me what has your journey been like, uh, since you started the podcast, tell us a little bit about your podcast and what it, uh, what it stands for. Yeah. So it's called the anything but typical podcast. And here's why. Well, first of all, my, my co-host, Ben McDonald, who sold his first company when he was 24, uh, then came to Charlotte from upstate New York and uh, did a turnaround of an Edward Jones uh, office. He went into the financial advisor and his, his business that he had built was a sports-related business, completely different from financial planning. Um, his story is actually on one of our recent podcasts and we only release every other week. So we aren't going to have 200. We're, you know, by the end of this year, we'll have 48. <laughs> so, uh, but that's about all we could take because he and I started it on our own, but he came to me probably December of 2019 and said, Hey man, I would love to have you, you know, I'd love to start a new podcast where it's just you and me. And I said, Hmm, that's interesting. I mean, because I'm 59 in a couple of weeks and he's 32. So I love hanging with young guys and learning new, new stuff from those guys. Uh, but I said, under these conditions, one, I want to call it anything but typical, knowing that I was kind of positioning BGW as an anything but typical place because it, it, it's just true to the DNA there. But even on a bigger thing because it's not like bgw didn't pay for it he and i started it on our own they're getting the halo effect from it and and we've done it on our own time and our own money but i also believe that any all of us have unique thumbprints by design i think that's by design we're unique 
we are all anything but typical. And I, for so long, I thought I, you know, I was, you know, I just wanted to fit in. I wanted, and what I realized, you know, I always, always thought I was less than. Well, I realized, you know what? We're all fearfully and wonderful, wonderfully made. But I said, I also want to focus on um, privately held businesses and their owners because I've run four companies myself and it's lonely. It's lonely running a company. Everybody thinks, oh, it must suck to be you. Well, sometimes it does. And you can't tell everybody and your spouse is holding on for dear life at times, you know, wondering, <laughs> okay, so what's going to be like when we don't get paid this time, you know, um, and your, your leaders, you know, they're depending on you to keep a steady hand on the, you know, the rudder. So, um, and having, the other thing is, is when we left Charlotte in 2002, I didn't want to work at one of the big banks again. And I, you know, I wasn't an engineer, so Duke Energy wasn't going to hire me. So um, there just was not the entrepreneurial, there, there were little sm smaller things, but not as widespread. And I hated leaving Charlotte, North Carolina. Believe me, going to Cleveland, Ohio, I mean, yeah, it's pretty three months out of the year in Chagrin Falls, but man, it's 13 winters up there made me really love Charlotte. So when I came back, and I saw the growth of that had been happening while we were away. I'm like, I just want to feature the stories of these people. Cause what I found is, um, you know, leaders either they were, were ripple makers. We're either sending positive ripples or negative ripples. And I've lived through some crappy, crappy things because the leaders were deeply flawed and were not willing to humble themselves and, own their mistakes or whatever. And so I said, man, if we could tell the stories and I want to focus only on Charlotte, I have people from various parts, even around the world that want to be on the, the podcast. And we're like, nah, right now we're just focused on Charlotte because I, quite frankly, I'm sick of being in the research triangles shadow because, oh, well, that's where all the tech stuff is. Well, yeah, if you want to get bought by one of the big pharmaceuticals, maybe, but there's some cool stuff happening here in Charlotte. And I want to keep telling the stories. And I want to tell the stories of people that are willing to be humble enough to admit, hey, this is where I screwed up or whatever, or their vulnerabilities so that somebody else can learn. And that has been so fun. It doesn't, I don't care if they're a startup or if they've been, I mean, we've had some that are, you know, a few hundred million dollar companies that they're running. I don't care about that. I care about character. So that's, that's the story about anything but typical podcast. Yeah, it's a, it's a great podcast. You actually had my, uh, my former uh, bosses, Amy and Patty on recently. I worked with them for four and a half years. I've not listened to the podcast yet, so I have to listen to it before I make a comment. Um, but Panda. yes, Panda, that's exactly right. That is, that is exactly right. That's what we would put on all emails internally. Uh, everybody knew what Panda meant. You 100% knew what Panda meant. Um, and then it kind of turned into a joke, especially for the new people. They're like, what's Panda? We're like, figure it out. Yeah. Pretty Soon simple. enough. Soon enough. P and A. You figure it out. If you can't figure that out, probably not going to last here for that long. Um, but that's cool. And I love that you're you're committed to Charlotte. You know, we've never said uh, we're only going to do you know stories in Charlotte. But I would say 95% of the people we've had on 
in, in the last three and a half years are from Charlotte. And it's amazing a from a startup, like you said, up to you know a couple hundred million dollars of companies, not necessarily how similar they are, but you can yeah. always learn something from it. They've all had yeah. difficulties. They've all made mistakes. And, and I think just by listening to somebody and understanding it, for me and Scott specifically, it's made us better people. We've been able to have conversations with people that are not like us. We've been able to bring people on that are passionate about things that maybe we never truly understood. And now by having them on the podcast and listening to that, it's not going to make me jump up and down and be like, yeah, now I'm passionate about that. But now right. I know why right? There's the reason. Now I know why somebody is passionate about that. And that's the biggest thing that we're lacking, not only in our community, but our country is just conversation. Just have conversation. Um, It will open up your eyes. My wife always laughs when we get on an elevator. Like I'll talk to anybody. And I made this comment on a podcast recently. I'm like, you better hope that thing doesn't break boy. Cause we're going to be best friends out of that. (laughs) Um, But that's how I feel. I feel like, you know, even everybody in the whole world, if you took a, a conversation with somebody, you're going to realize that you're a lot more yes. similar than you are different. And although the media wants yes. us to make us think that we're different, just have a conversation with people. And in Charlotte, like y'all, if you live in the wedge, get out of the wedge, go, go to the West side, go to the North side, go to the East side, go, go have conversations with people that are not like you. You will realize a, how quickly you can make an impact, but how it could change your life. It'll make you a better person. Um, we have a lot of nonprofits on here, and I always talk about getting your kids involved in that as well. But Charlotte has such a unique opportunity where we have a lot of businesses and a lot of people want to move here. But us as a community, we have to make sure we stay tight together. And by doing that is having conversations and sharing those stories. And like you said, Raleigh can have all these IT jobs. But think about what's going here, you know, with fintech and all of these different types of organizations that are supporting that. Those are the stories that need to come to light. And um, and Gary, that's why I love having people on like yourself that not only are you representing and working with a lot of different brands, you're now taking that story and sharing that. And that was the main reason we started this podcast three and a half years ago. I love insane. it. Yeah, man. I love it. So. That's all yes, I got, sir. Man. So Gary, it was great. Before we let you go, if people want to get in contact with you, um, since you you're over the thirty thousand dollar max or thirty thousand people max on LinkedIn, you just got to follow him. Like he he can't connect yeah. with you. You got to follow him because he's big time. But definitely check that out. But if people want to get in contact with you from a business standpoint or just want to chat with you, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Yeah, they can hit me on my. So LinkedIn is great. Um, and yeah, I've hit my thirty thousand follower max or connection max. Um, so, but what happens a lot of times is somebody really wants to connect with me and they're here, I'll find somebody that's in some obscure part of the world that I've never met that, you know, yeah. trying to sell me something or whatever, that may be a connection and then I'll, I'll knock them off. Um, but, uh, the email address is G F R E Y G fry, or it looks like G fray, uh, <laughs> at trust, bgw.com trust t-r-u-s-t bgw.com so yeah that'd be awesome but man i i just want to go back to what you said brian the way we win is by listening and looking for commonality you don't have to lose your soul or uh you know know what you stand for and the more you know what you stand for the more you can easily have a conversation that stands for something diametrically opposed to you and you won't be moved, (laughs) you know, but if you don't know what you stand for, you're going to be flying all over the place, you know? So, but I, that's one of the things I love about Charlotte, North Carolina guys is because so many of us are not from here. 
a lot of the natives were very, very kind to me when we first moved here and it was a much smaller city in 1994. But when I came back, some of those same natives, but a lot of other people that were not from here were kind to connect me. And, and that is what makes the community stronger, you know, otherwise media bipolar, you know, like, you know, echo chambers get us into this nastiness that it's just not healthy. Um, and so, you know, I'm not about just spreading positivity for positivity's sake, but man, I mean, there's plenty of stuff to be grateful for and that we can have positive impact on people. hundred percent. So. One hundred percent. I love your message, man. Love your podcast. Love yeah. what you stand for and the work you do for our community and and your team there, of course. And uh, fascinating, man. We could sit here and talk all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, the stories you have are incredible. And, Let's uh, do this again. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. And yeah. thank you guys for being positive ripple makers in this pond that we call Charlotte, North Carolina. Yes, sir. Thank you. Keep up the great work, buddy. Yeah, Good I, to see you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm going to close out on this, and it was a quote you said in the uh, in this podcast that um, if you don't know what you stand for, you will fall for anything. And I think people need to really think about that, uh, especially the last part. You will fall for anything. And I think it's uh, such an important message now. Well, um, you mentioned, you know, for, for everything that we've been doing, we obviously thank the people that help us, Melissa, Yash, DC, that enabled us to put out this podcast every single week. And um, it's been a pleasure. Gary, I'm going to have to go to lunch with you so we can Let's talk Wichita, Kansas, <laughs> and get back to our roots over Let's here. Price Harris Elementary Price School. Price Harris. So I, I my mom is going to lose her <laughs> mind when I tell her you're never going to believe and so my dad was in the aviation space as well. He worked for a company called USAIG, which is aviation insurance. So, oh, sure. Yeah. So when we went out there, he became the general manager of the Wichita office. And my whole family, Florida was everything they knew. So we went from being beach babies to the farthest possible place away from the beach that you can imagine. So I still don't know how my dad convinced my mom. I think it was like this. You don't ever have to work again. Maybe that was it. Like, and, then, and, then they, and then we yeah. out. And the country club. And the country club. The country club got it. It was the country club yeah. in, the, in the late 80s. But it's still the middle of nowhere, man. It is, man. It, and it's flat as hell. And people ask, like, did you ever see a tornado? I'm like, of course. It yeah. was the craziest. I don't know. It made me love weather, though. I will say that. So we're going on another tangent. Until uh, the next episode, if you are, are listening, please like, share, comment. Uh, go check out Gary. He's awesome. Check out his podcast as well. Um, get in touch with him if you'd like to chat. And uh, thank you so much, Gary, for being an awesome member of this community and adding value on a daily basis. Uh, you are the reason why we started this podcast, and we're so excited that uh, we got the opportunity to share your story. You've been listening to the Brand Builders Podcast, brought to you by the Dunstan Group with your host, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. For branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last, check out the Dunstan Group at dunstangroup.com.